0: Syrah.
1: It's The oh, way he brought that down was fabulous. Oh. Okay. What a goal. oh! Only football can make you feel like this.
0: Well, if you were tuned in to the England-Croatia game on Off The Sport last night, you would have seen our next guest on your TV and amongst the rowdy English fans. Uh, he's now the host of the ABC Grandstand Football Podcast, but he's been a long-time football journalist here in Australia. His name's Daniel Garb. Garby, welcome back to the Shooting Stars
1: podcast. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm, I'm battling, Stu, because I was with the England fans last night, to be honest. And even though I wasn't drinking, I think just sort of viral osmosis, I consumed probably a case of beer on my own, just absorbing in the air all that they were drinking. And it was another late night. So I'm battling, mate, but um, tonight I can have a nice sleep at least. But it was good fun. It was nice to be in that crowd again.
0: So you weren't up on the table singing and dancing when (laughs) Stanley's goal went in and the victory Uh, was
1: secured? Mate, I was with Stephen Taylor and we were hiding in a little like pseudo green room area behind like a black sheet, just staying out of it all. It was mental. Like if you weren't drunk, you would have hated it. But everyone in there was drunk. So they loved it and they're all English. So they're having the time of their lives. But, you know, we were trying to work. We're getting ready to work anyway. And it was just absolute chaos. But I'll tell you what. It's been a year and a bit since we've seen anything like that in Australia, right, with COVID. So it was great to see it again. It was great to see people partying and loving life and loving football again. And, you know, they were obviously rallying behind their country and, and their ramps because they are a chance to win it. So watching all of that was amazing. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's great to see those times are uh, uh, coming back, at least here in Sydney, maybe not in, in Melbourne and, and some other parts of the world. But uh, over here, it's, it feels like it's back to normal now. So that was good to watch. That's
0: good. What about the, like, what was the vibe amongst the England fans in terms of, you know, I mean, Eng- England, they got the result right, but they didn't play the most beautiful football at the end of the day. What was the vibe amongst the England fans, at least with how the team set up and how they performed?
1: Mate, they were so drunk, you couldn't get any vibe All right. in terms of what <laughs> they actually thought about the game. We tried, Stephen Taylor and I, to do a, a tactical <laughs> chat on stage before the game. Yep. After about two questions, we just went, you know what, bugger this. No one could hear anything. They weren't going to shut up. <laughs> they just wanted to sing their songs. So we thought, you know what, have a good night. And we sat down. So it was hard to get a grasp of what they thought tactically, the England fans. But uh, I'm guessing, uh, considering the way the game went, they would have been thrilled with the opening half an hour or so when they were all over Croatia. And then maybe a little bit worried about the way in which they dropped off. And, and failed to really put them to bed, which they should have done based on the way they, they started the game. And maybe against a better team, they'll concede a goal and drop a game that they were dominating. So, yeah, I think there'd be a, a couple of concerns there. But ultimately, they're off to a winning start. The first time in 10 attempts at the Euros, England's won their opening game. Mm. So that's a fair stat. Yep. And, you uh, know, they'll, they'll settle better now. They got their first game out of the way in three points. I think they'll work their way into the tournament nicely. I mean, usually teams that have designs on winning it, it's about pacing it. I'm not sure England's got that experience in their squad, but maybe more by accident than by design, it'll work out that way for them and they can build through the tournament.
0: Yeah. What did you make of the opening weekend of the Euros? Obviously, the biggest story is Christian Eriksen and obviously, thankfully, he's... he's. Uh, He's obviously alive and doing better now compared to how things were panning out the other day. But obviously that's the big story. But what have you made of the the start to the tournament thus far, starting with Turkey and Italy on
1: Friday? It's been fantastic. Lots of goals. And I guess the story so far is that the big teams are all winning. We haven't had an upset. Italy won. Belgium won easily. The Netherlands, after being 2-0 up, managed to get one over the Ukraine. in what I thought would be an even game. England got the job done. So, so far, there hasn't been a big team to talk about as a disappointment, which I actually quite like because it sets it up for thrilling knockout games. The big teams all likely to get through in the positions that we predict. We're going to have some awesome matchups in the, the quarterfinals or so. So for now, I mean, that can all change very quickly, of course. But I guess that's the story at the moment. And and there's, it's been really exciting football. And the Euros are always like that. For me, it's the best standard of football the world produces. Like the World Cup is the biggest tournament, but you have some weaker teams and you have different styles of football clashing sometimes you know an African team against a European team and it's a different Mm. style of play that sometimes cancels each other out Um, and when European nations go against each other it's more often they're not the same style and and it just produces exciting football the standard of teams are so high and Mm. we're seeing that already it's fantastic I love the way Italy played I thought they were vibrant energetic and aggressive fantastic to watch that and Belgium were dominant, as we we hoped they would be, because I think we want to see this Belgium generation, you know, try and really have a proper crack and make a big final for one. So, mm. all those things are positive so far. Obviously, the, the one enormous scare, which was Christian Eriksen, but uh, but thankfully, that's ended up okay in terms of his life, but you dare say his football career is over.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, the, I suppose, the sad takeaway with the Christian Eriksen thing. Obviously, we've seen Fabrice Mwamba, uh, that's happened in the past as well, so... Let's let's hope that he can get back on the pitch, but we'll have to obviously wait and see Um, on that. Who's your tip for the Euros then? What do you you think? Who do you reckon will take it out?
1: I'm still on France. I'm looking forward to their game with Germany in a couple of days' time at the time of recording. Um, I think it's interesting to see with France because playing a big team early, it doesn't allow them to work their way into the tournament, which I think they would like to do, which they did at the last World Cup. Remember, they played Australia and we took it to them, but... They were probably playing in second gear a little bit and trying to work their way through it, which you know is is normal for teams to try and do when they have a chance of, of winning it all. But they can't afford through that against Germany, even if even though they're a better team. And they can't afford through that against Portugal. So they've got to be at their best from the off. That'll be exciting to watch, and I think it'll help them really click in, into gear. Doesn't mean they they peak too early potentially. Who knows? But France is still my tip. I just think if Engolo Conte is at his best, which I imagine he will be their defence gets an extra second or two to settle. He's that good. And in Kylian Mbappe, they have the best counter-attacking player in the world. Um, up there with Ronaldo or in the tournament. Up there with Ronaldo, of course, but Mbappe is probably a little bit above him at, at the moment in terms of form and obviously because of the age difference. So, yep. those two elements together, I mean, you, never mind Griezmann and Pogba and Loris <laughs> and, and all the far, other mate. players that have got. is ridiculous. Pavara, right back. Those two, you know, the, two of the best players in the world in their position. And, I think that will be the difference, but it's such a competitive even tournament. So uh, Portugal, Belgium and Italy are the three other teams that I really like. And the signs are pretty good from England as well so far.
0: Yeah, the France-Germany game shaping up to be the game of the tournament thus far, at least. Um, all right, yeah, that's the Euros. Obviously, will be going on for the next month or so, but putting the lens back on Australia now, obviously, it's been a massive week in Australian football from a coaching perspective. Obviously, you got Joey Montemore going to Juventus Women and, of course... Ange Postacoglu to Celtic, possibly the biggest story uh, from a coaching perspective, at least. Um, what have you made of those appointments? And yeah, give us your thoughts on those two.
1: Yeah, I mean, Joe Montemuro is a great story. He's done a great job to get to Europe and and did really well with Arsenal and now gets to manage a club that he loves dearly in Juventus. So just incredible that he's entrusted with such a, a powerful name in world football. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. and. Wait and see where he goes from there. Is it the Matildas after that? Does he get another national team job? Does he stay with a club like Juventus for a long period of time? I mean, the women's game is growing so rapidly, and it's hard to pick which country is going to develop the, the most. Like Spain has come out of nowhere apparently in the last two three years, and now they're an unbelievable team. Does he go to Real Madrid or Barcelona next? Mm. I mean, there's all these possibilities from where he is right now, which is great. Um, but you know, Ange is just a—it's a, an unfathomable achievement. Like. If he was a big-name player, like a Premier League star or something like that as a player, then you could understand it a little bit more because he's got the name. This is a guy who only played in the NSL. To work your way up from that yep. purely through coaching and make it to a club like Celtic from Australia, it's just unfathomable. Yeah. So we're so proud of him, I think, as Australians. And then we're so hopeful that he does well and we're confident that he'll do well because we know how brilliant he is and how successful he's been in the past and how that's likely to translate into Scotland. And then we're excited for the future, both for him, what it means. I mean, he'll view Celtic as an avenue as much as he wants to do well there. And it's an incredibly difficult job and the pressure that comes with it's enormous. You'll know that if he does do well, the Premier League is next. And that is just you know, a mammoth stage, as we know, and what that means for Australia in coaching, but in all areas is big too. So it's our final frontier um, as a football nation and he's the man to lead us through it. So we can't wait to watch the ride and, and to watch him win over some of the naysayers would be great. There's some naive people who, you know, don't have a, a broad enough mind in football and I can see Ange just winning them over and that's going to be great to watch. And yeah, it's, uh, he's done us all proud and, and now we get to, to watch the journey and uh, I think we'll be thrilled by it.
0: Yeah, it's going to, I suppose, put the lens back on Australian football uh, in many ways in Europe, which is obviously a positive. But uh, if we're going up against your Liverpool, Manny, we're going up against Stevie G at Rangers. Who are you going to be uh, rooting for this year in that in that oh, battle? <laughs> oh, no, and, uh,
1: yeah. and a million times over. Um, oh, I love what Steven has done. It's been great to watch him manage like that. And it's not so much the success he's having. I think what people enjoy is how classy he is in the role. I think we saw the same with Frank Lampard. You know, they're a new age of footballer that's come through and the way in which they speak, I think it really connects with with people, even if they're talking about a club that doesn't resonate with you. So he's been super impressive and, you know, obviously the Liverpool job something he covets, but when he makes the call to say, I've got the confidence to do that will be interesting. And now he goes up against Ange. Look, I don't think there'll be much byplay play between them. Um, You know, Stevie G doesn't really get involved in that stuff. Ange doesn't get involved. But old-firm derbies create enormous passion. And there are moments when Ange's fired up. And um, I'm sure that will bring out the passion in Stevie Gerrard as well. So, if they do go head-to-head on a couple of occasions and things get fiery, well, it'll be great to watch our boy go up against one of the legends of the world game. But uh, we're in the Aussie corner all the way, as much as I'm a Liverpool fan. It's, um, it's Ange a million times over. And he's a big Liverpool fan as well. So, um know, it'll be interesting for him to, to go up against Stephen Gerrard, but he won't be overwhelmed by that one bit.
0: And there's been some Aussies linked to Celtic naturally uh, recently. Obviously, from a player's perspective, you've got Matty Ryan. I heard you on your podcast, the Grandstand Football Podcast today, talking about that. He said it would be a dream move for
1: both parties. Yeah, I think it would work out. I guess the only concern is, I mean, firstly, does Celtic want it that badly? Does Ange want it that badly? If he does, let's say he wants Matt Ryan. It does work out for both. Matt may be interested in giving it a real crack at Arsenal. The the word is that they want him on a permanent deal. It would be to be the backup to start with, but he closed the gap on Burnt Leno Mm. um, at the end of last season. So if you're Matt Ryan, you can understand him saying, geez, I love Arsenal. I might not get this chance again. It's the Premier League now back myself to start well, and I can be the number one keeper at Arsenal next season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Arteta likes me. He wants me to stay. Very tough call, but then Celtic's also a big club. You're working with Ange. You know you've got full trust of the coach and security, and then you can get the big Premier League move off the back of it. It's a tough call, Um, but I think it's a win-win for Matt either way, Um, but we'd love to see him link up with Ange because, uh, yeah, I think it would be a a great partnership. And, and I think the Celtic fans would be happy with that. You know, if, if Ange can bring someone like Matt Ryan, they'd say, yeah, we'll take that. We'll take Matt Ryan as our number one. That's a, that's a boost for us too.
0: Yeah. I suppose from Matt Ryan's perspective, he's an Arsenal fan as well. So he's got a bit, a bit to think about in that regard. If that, if there, if there is truth to that, um, there's been two coaches linked as assistants. Can you provide any clarity on whether the reports linking Kevin Musket and Ross Aloisi are
1: uh, concrete en- enough or do you know anything about that? Yeah, the the Muskie one I can't see happening because he played for Rangers, like pure and simple. I just don't see that eventuating. Would Muskie want it to be a number two? Maybe at a club like Celtic, but I can't see it happening. I just can't see the Celtic fans going for that. I don't think you I find it extremely risky from Ange in the position he's in already to do that and, and turn more Celtic fans offside. So I can't see that happening. Ross Aloisi would be an enormous surprise, an enormous surprise. Um, I don't know if Andrew's worked with him much. I think maybe a little bit in the national team. I think he maybe brought Ross into the fold once or twice. So maybe he was impressed by him. And Ross certainly on the the touchline in Scotland would would fit right in with the fire and brimstone that goes on there. Um, That would be a surprise, but hey, it would be great. I can see him bringing at least one Australian assistant coach with him, probably two. And there'd be a few in the mix. So he's always... He's always been happy to bring on big name assistants with him. And she had Ante Milicic as an assistant for a long time with the Socceroos. He doesn't worry about having someone with a big personality. Uh, he backs himself in. He's very secure in that regard. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who he picks.
0: Yeah, for sure. I guess um, we'll just have to wait and see on those stories. And that'll all play out over the next week or so. Now, obviously, the A-League finals is is here. And there's been some big results over the weekend. Just give us a quick wrap-up of what's going on. Adelaide have progressed. They'll face Sydney and MacArthur have surprised and they're going to uh,
1: take on Melbourne City. Yeah, so, I mean, Tommy Urich won the game for Adelaide, pure and simple. I mean, it was just, that's what finals are like. They can be tight. You need an individual to to stand up, especially an attacking player. And Tommy Urich was brilliant. Two excellent goals. Um, MacArthur just defended so well. Their experience came to the fore against the Mariners, I think, and they just felt really sound at the back, even when they went down to 10 men and took their chance when it was presented. So... Look, it's the final series that's so open because of the players that are missing. So you go into these games and you go, well, yeah, Sydney's got an excellent attack still: Lafondra, uh, Babo, Braton Bratton. Um, but if Adelaide can hold them out, there are holes in that Sydney defence. They've lost three of their defenders, sorry, two key defenders and a goalkeeper. So three players in their defensive setup to the Socceroos. I mean, Tommy Urich is another big game. He can score one or two again. So. That that also looks like an even game. And and Melbourne City are missing Jamie McLaren, Curtis Good, and Connor Metcalf. Like MacArthur mm. sets up well defensively again, grows into the game, starts to gain some confidence. They can pinch one at the other end with Matt Derbyshire. I think they're they're both really even games on paper. So bring them on. They'll be great.
0: Do you think um, is that something that maybe the you know football Australia needs to look at to avoid next time? Because you don't really want your best domestic players not playing in the biggest domestic games. <laughs> for the sake yeah. of the national team, do you? I mean, it's been a thing in Australia, Australian football for a number of years
1: now, but will that get revisited and maybe revamped, do you think? Yeah, but uh, you got to take into account the oddities of the last year and a bit, and it's all COVID yep. affected. Yeah. So, you know, they, we, if we've got a World Cup in 18 months and we're still in the first phase of qualifying, mm. they've got to rush these games out. They've got to get them completed. And then we've got to start phase two. So there isn't much time date-wise to get around it. The A-League season was rejigged. It just clashed what else can you do? So you just have to cop it this year, as hard as it is for everyone. But it's happened it in, in that... the
0: past though. That's the thing. I yeah. Feel...
1: It, not around finals time though. It's happened in the past in normal games. And I, and I think we'll see a change where, yeah, there won't be games played in international breaks, but finals times where it really affects, if you lose a key player for one game in the middle of the season. I mean, okay, you deal with it. If you have to, it's not ideal, but finals times a different ball game. That's, that's not what you want at all. But I think you just have to put it in the COVID basket. We have to suck it up and and move on. But um, you feel for Melbourne City and Sydney, especially Melbourne City, who have been so dominant. Lose the Golden Boot winner and two other gun players for the finals. But that's not ideal, but um, just the way it is. So I can't see it happening in a final series again.
0: Yeah. And a question without notice, I guess the A League broadcast rights have changed hands. What have you What have you made of all that news over the past uh, couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, it's positive. I mean the free-to-air component of the deal is is exciting and can potentially be an accelerator. Um, You know, that we've never had a deal like that. It's unprecedented channel 10 main channel Saturday night. They're investing big money. Great. I guess the question mark is the paramount aspect of the deal and how many subscribers will they get? Hmm. uh, How many people will watch the other games, but that's the onus is on the league and, and the clubs to promote things really strongly and, and win people over and get them to subscribe and bring in the odd marquee player if they can. And, and, have a glitz and glamour marketing campaign to go with it. All these things that they promised they would do, let's see them do it now. It would be great. I mean, ultimately, the financials of the deal are, are very sound and that underpins the future of the league. And this time last year, to be honest, we didn't know if there would be a, a financial deal for the league. That would be sound. So that's reassuring. And um, there, there's a possibility there that it will, it will grow off the back of the free-to-wear aspect. So we should be excited by that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it should be an exciting time once it all kicks in Um, next season. All right, just lastly, you revealed a couple of big scoops or the biggest scoop on your podcast
1: today. Craig Noon is signing for MacArthur. What have you made of that? Huge deal for them. I mean, they've brought in two of the best players this season in Ulises de Villa and, and now Craig Noon, maybe Danny De Silva as well. They're going to be some sort of team. They're not holding back. I think Noon's a fabulous player and he's been unbelievable this season. And so when Melbourne City signed Matthew Lecky, you thought there could be a player to go. Leckie, Naboot, McLaren, Noon. They're all too good to be sitting on the bench, any of them. So you thought, geez, something's got to give here. And it sounds, well, it will be Craig Noon. I mean, he signed a, a two-year deal. Um, he's agreed to terms with MacArthur and they play each other this weekend. So I'm not sure they're all too happy with me bringing up the story now, but that's the way it goes. Um, and, yeah, we'll wait and see what reaction Melbourne City have and, and how Craig Noon lines up against his future employer. I'm sure he'll be very professional and put in a, a big shift. No one would expect it to be any other way. But it's a little subplot going into the game now.
0: <laughs> Just making your mark. That's good. Uh, Gary Hooper, you, you mentioned today, he was potentially going to go back to
1: Wellington. Yeah, well, he's left his club in India. So there's talks with Wellington to bring him back. Uh, what does that mean for Tomei Hemed? I think they might lose him. He's been really good. He's second half of the season. He was as good as any striker. He was as good as McLaren. He was brilliant. So where does he go? There'll be some interest from overseas. I think there's some interest from some some Australian clubs. Hard to see him staying at Wellington um, because the money on offer at other clubs is better. But If they bring back Gary Hooper, then they, they, they cover that reasonably well. Uh, my understanding is the talk's there and, and there's some interest. So... Yeah, that'd be a, a good one for Wellington if they do lose. Tommy Hemed And Jason Davidson has been frozen out at uh,
0: Sun Hyundai, it seems, and he's on his way back to the victory under former coach Tony
1: Popovich. Yeah, my mail is he'll sign with them. Uh, they've let Adama Traore go, so they've got a spot available at left back. Um, and it looks like Jason Davidson will move there. So he did really well under Popper at the Perth Glory. So Popper actually obviously trusts him. Out of favorite in Korea and like many players now with COVID still impacting the way we live. I just want to get back to Australia. You know, it's just much easier here being in Asia is tough. Um, so just get back here and try and live a, a normal life for the next year or so while all this nonsense is going on. And uh, he's in the same boat as Matthew Lecky is asked to come back because of that.
0: Yeah. Alex Grant may have other ideas. He's loving life up in Pohang, he tells me. So <laughs> Anyway, Garby, we'll leave it there. You've had a big couple of days, mate. Appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast for the second time.
1: No worries. Thanks to you. All the best, mate.
0: Here comes Alan Shearer. It's